Please stand for the reading of God's word. This is Matthew twenty-two thirty-four to 40. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. The word of the Lord. Can I have a seat? Good morning. Feels like a while since I've been up here actually teaching. Some people ask me if I quit my job or um, it's a really good gig if you can get it. You know, you teach once a month and they pay you to do that. It's great. So uh, if you haven't been around, if you're um, coming back for, and you haven't been around for like a year or so, uh, just to let you know, this is what we're talking about. This is what we've been talking about since the summer. This fall, we're talking about, we're asking the question, how do we, how do we take that inner life that God has given us, and how does that inner life overflow into a life of love and service to other people? How do we take the grace that we've received from God, the love, the truth, and how do we then offer that to the world around us. And so far, we've been just staying really big picture. We, we started by looking at the ministry of Jesus, how his whole life was lived out of overflow. He had this deep relationship with God that then spilled over into his love for those around him. We talked about our role as salt and light in the world. We heard from uh, Pastor Adrian DeVizer from Sri Lanka about the key role of prayer in a life of outreach. Last week, we heard from Dr. Rick Langer about engaging in spiritual conversations with people, asking good questions, having conversational hospitality. And now we're going to start to focus on specific contexts in our lives where we have an opportunity to reach out, to love and serve, to share the love of Jesus with other people. Specifically, uh, we're going to look at this in the next month or so, sharing God's love where we live, work, and play. And these are going to be the contexts today where we live, our neighborhoods, our places of residence. And then we'll talk about our place of work, however you might define that given your life stage. And then we'll talk about where we play, meaning what are the hobbies and interests we have? What are those third spaces we go to? Maybe it's the gym. Maybe it's a favorite coffee shop. These, these places where we find ourselves. How can those be contexts for sharing God's love with other people. So essentially we're going to talk about as you go about your ordinary life, in the ordinary rhythms and contours of your life, where are there opportunities to share God's love? And the reason we're doing it is um, this way. Well, one of the reasons, um, I've been thinking about something recently about scripture, and I hadn't really thought through this, but here's what I've noticed. There's these really radical evangelism passages in scripture that talk about going, like Jesus will send out the 72, right, into the village, go into the villages, take nothing with you, uh, or of course the great commission, go and make disciples of all the nations, right? Acts 1, you are my witnesses to Judea, Samaria, the ends of this. There's, there's this going out into the world, get out of here, go to another place and share the love of Jesus, but what struck me in my study is when you get to the actual letters of the New Testament, like Paul writing to a church that has now been formed in Rome, 
or in Galatia or in Ephesus. The actual ordinary Christians. What surprised me is how much that go language actually disappears. You can find almost no language that, that, that is saying, go out into all the world. It, it seems like that was spoken especially to the 12 and to Paul and his associates. And that is certainly still relevant for us today. But when you get to ordinary churches and what the, what the scriptural writers have to say to them, that language really disappears in, in large part. And the language becomes what I would call much more ordinary, much more humble maybe. It's more like, hey, you live in Ephesus Love people well. Serve those around you. Make the most of opportunities you have. This is the kind of language you start to get when you actually are talking about actual churches and actual places. First Peter. In your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect, right? Wherever you go, be prepared to give an answer with gentleness and respect, or my favorite one is Colossians 4. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. He means those who aren't Christians. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So I'm not saying there isn't still a call for people to go out, but the language much more becomes, hey, you live here in the course of your life. As you have opportunity, make the most of those opportunities. And so that's what we're going to talk about. Oops. Um, Our daily opportunities where we live, work, and play, those are for the average Christian. I think that is the way that God intends for his good news to be spread. So we're talking about very ordinary things like, you know, being out front in your front yard, having a conversation with a neighbor about, about what happened in Las Vegas, right? Or a coworker who has just lost a family member and is, is feeling that and just sitting with them, talking to them, talking to a friend as you're watching your kid's soccer game. Okay, these ordinary daily experiences become for, I think, the average Christian, the opportunities that God puts in front of us. And so one of the things I, I want, I've been wanting to say about this outreach series, I think a lot of people, a lot of Christians think about outreach, like I got to be out there evangelizing. And what we feel is like, this is one more thing I've got to add to an already really busy schedule, right? My life is already full. I've already been trying to take care of family or friends or just work. And, and you're asking me to do one more thing. Like now I've got to, that, that Saturday, I've got to now go and serve at this place. And I, my schedule's already really full, right? So I think what we think of is we look at our lives and we, we see these different categories of our life. I've already got my work and my family, the hobbies, trying to pursue my health, friends, church, whatever the pie pieces are. And what you're asking me to do now is to, to make room, to, to make those smaller so that I can add a new pie piece that's called outreach. And it already feels really full. The pie already feels too big as it is. And so what I want to encourage you with is that's not what I'm saying in this series. I'm actually saying it's not about creating a new pie piece called outreach or evangelism or whatever you want to call it. It's actually about looking at the current pie pieces and say, how can they become opportunities to love and serve people and share Jesus' love for them. My work is a great opportunity. My hobbies are a great opportunity. My friends are a great opportunity. So it's a lens that we would see everything through rather than trying to create one more thing that we have to do. In fact, I would argue if we're going to do this well, this will actually not be about doing more in life. This will be about doing less in life. For most of us, if we're going to really share the love of Jesus, we actually have to think about how can I slow my life down? How can I kind of take some things off my plate? 
Because so much of this is about having a ministry of availability to people. It's about having that extra 15 minutes or that emotional space where I can actually notice somebody and say, hey, you know, I'm noticing you. So I want you to hear, for most of us, this will not mean more. This will actually mean less. When you think about Jesus, he lived a very productive life, very productive life. But he was never hurried. You don't get a sense that he was ever hurried, right? He had, he had a ministry of availability. He had an emotional space for people. He had the time to notice someone when he was on his way to somewhere else. And so that's, his, that's what this is about. In the, in the course of our ordinary lives, it's about having a ministry of availability, seeing the opportunities that God is already putting in front of us. All right, so that's all by way of introduction. But I thought that would be important to say as we kind of get into some of the practical context where we live this stuff out. All right, so today uh, we're going to look at the context of where we live, where we sleep at night, and those who sleep 100 yards away from us at night, okay? Our neighborhoods, our apartment complexes, whatever that is for you. So I want you right now to picture in your mind your neighborhood, your street, your complex, right? I want you to put it in your mind. I'll give you a visual of mine. Here I am at uh, Warren Lane at the corner of Warren and Baker. I am three houses in on the left. You can just, if you look closely, spot my, my hot white Camry lip sitting in the uh, driveway there. This is on Google Maps. Uh, I've seen some of my other neighbors are in, the, are in the house this morning. Sorry for showing your street to your church. Um, but this is, this is what I picture. Now, I want you to picture what you picture. And I just want you to think about for a second the dynamics of your particular living situation. Uh, are you in an, uh, a street that's very isolated relationally? Is it a very quiet, isolated one? Is it a busy street? Uh, is there a lot of community happening in your neighborhood? Are there a lot of families? Are there a lot of young single folks? Are there a lot of retired people? And I want you to think about specific people, specific homes that you're aware of on your street. There might be a young family that just moved in near you. Uh, there's the house that's always throwing the loud parties at night, right, that you don't like. Uh, there's the family that you see, they're so big, like they're in the like, sports season. Like they are in and out three times every Saturday, every Sunday. There's the, uh, maybe there's an older person who's living on their own. Uh, there's the front yard that is never kept up, no pride of ownership there, and it's just an eyesore on your street. Uh, there might be a family that speaks another language, and you're not even sure what the language is, okay? But I want you to get inside of your neighborhood, right? Every home, every apartment, there, obviously there are these dreams, there's these hopes, there's these fears, there's these addictions, there's all this going on all around us all the time. So I want you just to be thinking about that as we look at our passage today, which is, of course, one of the most important passages in all of Scripture. Matthew twenty-two thirty-four through 40, Jesus is in Jerusalem. He's being tested by the religious leaders of his day, and a lawyer comes up and asks him, what's the most important commandment? And Jesus, without hesitation, he says, the most important commandment is love. That's the most important thing, love. First, love God with all you've got. And second, love your neighbor as yourself. All the other commandments in the law and the prophets hang on these two commands, which is really one command to love. So we're going to look at that second command today. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
I was reading a book last year called The Art of Neighboring, where the authors posed the question, and I wanted to talk about each of these words here, uh, what if we took Jesus' command literally here? Like, what if we took that middle word, neighbor, and actually took it literally, our actual literal neighbors? And the Greek word that Jesus uses, it's literally, it just means someone who's near you, someone who lives alongside you, by you. And it's clear as as you hear Jesus' teachings that by the word neighbor, Jesus means certainly much more than that, right? But he at least means that. (laughs) At least he means it in its literal sense as well. Love your actual neighbor as yourself. And so I think for a lot of us in this room, I imagine we, even hearing that, we have to adjust our thinking about where we live. Uh, I was just talking to someone this morning who just bought a new house, who's getting the keys on Monday. Um, how many of us in this room chose our house or our apartment based on the people who live on the street? Right? I know hands are going up. Mine, I'm going to put mine back down. Sorry. <laughs> it's an interesting thing, right? I mean, I don't know hardly anybody. I know a couple people who try to do intentional neighboring. But for most of us, the people that we were going to be living next to weren't even a factor when we chose where we lived, right? It's not even, it doesn't even come up for consideration other than like we want to make sure these aren't crazy people or, you know, this. But generally, we're not thinking about the specific people at all. And yet now we spend large amounts of our lives within close proximity to them. Um, and so what does it mean to love our literal neighbors as ourselves? That word love is the Greek word agape. Many of you are familiar with that. Agape love. Um, that is a consistent, faithful commitment to another person's good. Okay? It's a heart that says, I am for you. I am for you, and, and I'm going to back that up with action. I'm going to do my best to love you as I, as I can. And the extent of that love, Jesus says, is love your neighbor. Here's the real radical thing, as yourself. Jesus is assuming we love ourselves here, I think. He's saying, we all, you all love yourselves in the sense that you all desire what will lead to fulfillment and joy and happiness in life. Now, we all try to get there in different ways, but everybody wants a life that is flourishing and happy and joyful and meaningful, right? Jesus assumes that. He's saying, take that same commitment and, and desire that you have for your own fulfillment and start applying that to your neighbors, okay, to other people that you would want and that you would Commit yourself to acting in ways that will lead to other people's joy and fulfillment and meaning and purpose in life. Pretty radical concept, especially if we start applying it to our <laughs> literal neighbors. So, I, before I move on, I want to talk about how do we love our neighbors. I, I just want to make a comment that I think is, is helpful because we're, we're doing an outreach series, right? We're talking about sharing the love and truth of Jesus with other people. And, and I think it's good to note that today, just to remember, the, the most important command in this series is this one, right? Jesus is explicit. This is the most important command. The most important command is love your neighbor. Jesus doesn't say the most important command is um, convert your neighbor, Right? Or try to fix your neighbor. Or try to convince your neighbor that their worldview is wrong. Right? The, the most important thing that you can do with your neighbor or with anybody else is to love them. Now, of course, part of what it means to love a person, if you believe that Jesus is who he said he is, is you're going to want to share 
who Jesus is with them. That's, that's a part of love. But love is the overarching command. All the other commands have to hang on that. So go and make disciples. That has to be under the umbrella of love, right? Make the most of every opportunity. Always be prepared. Those all have to hang under the most important command, which is love. And so what we want in this series, and specifically with our neighbors, we would want, if I were to ask my neighbor about you, you'd want the first thing that they think of to be, you know what? They are a really loving person. Like they, it's obvious they notice me, they see me, they care about me, they want good things for me. It's obvious in the way they treat me. That's what you want. Even more so than like, you know, that person, that's the person who's always trying to like twist conversations to get them into some sort of spiritual, you know, conclusion or something like that. No, no. First and foremost, we would want them to say of us, they are loving people. We want to be a blessing to the people on our street, in our complex. And and it got me thinking about Jesus himself this week. And the thought was this. uh, Jesus himself was a neighbor. (laughs) For 30 years of his life, you know, for most of those years, he lived in a little town called Nazareth, right? Uh, 30 years he spent most of that time in a little town called Nazareth before he ever had a public ministry before he did any miracles that at least we're aware of, um, before he was gathering a following, he was a neighbor. And I, it just, I, you know, I don't know the answer to this, but it got me thinking, Jesus, what, what were you like as a neighbor? As the son of Mary and Joseph, probably following along in your father's carpentry, tra- carpentry trade. But what would it have been like to live in your village, to experience you? You know, what were play dates with Jesus like, you know? <laughs> What were, what were Nazareth block parties with Jesus like? Walking to synagogue on a Saturday morning together with Jesus. Um, I mean, you can kind of imagine what, how he may have thought about his neighbors, the intention that he would have brought in those relationships, the care and love, the, the, the tough questions maybe he would ask his neighbors. And I was thinking to make this you know, personal to me. Okay, well, what would it look like Here's the WWJD question. You know, Jesus, if, if you had been a neighbor here, instead of 2,000 years ago in Nazareth, you were 2017 on Warren Lane in Costa Mesa, how would you have been a neighbor? What, what, how would you have seen your neighbors? What values would you have wanted to bring to your street? What issues would you have been mindful of? How would you have engaged people? We encourage you to do a prayer exercise a couple weeks ago. And, and that's really what the exercise is. It's about walking through your neighborhood and saying, Jesus, would you give me your eyes to see my neighbors? Help me see them the way you see them. Give me a heart that is like your heart for the people. What would it look like if, if your kingdom were somehow to start to come on my street, on earth as it is in heaven, on Warren Lane as it is in heaven, right? What would that, what would that would look like? Do I have an imagination for what you would want to see happen there? Give me your eyes. Give me your ears. Give me your heart. All right, so I want to ask a couple questions, then we're actually going to have a couple people come and share some stories of how they're trying to be intentional neighbors. So the question I want to ask uh, to finish up my time is, how do we move towards loving our neighbors? What is it? I don't know. Some of you, you're like, I've never thought about my street. My street is the last place I want to do ministry, right? I want to come home. My house is a refuge. I don't want to even think about this. Some of you love this conversation, and most of you are probably somewhere in between, Okay. 
So wherever you find yourself on that spectrum, how do we start to move towards following Jesus' call to love our neighbors as ourselves? And I have very, uh, two very simple ideas for you today. Deeply, deeply simple. You're like, you just took three weeks off and this is all you got. Um, first one, this is the most profound. Moving towards loving our neighbors. First step, get to know your neighbors. <laughs> okay. you, you, you cannot love what you don't know. Uh, This book that I read uh, has this little image here. Uh, You live in the home in the middle, okay, or the apartment in the middle. I've never seen a neighborhood shaped like this, just so you know. Um, But the idea is, okay, you're there. Identify the eight neighbors' houses, rooms closest to yours, okay? And they took a bunch of people through an exercise. There's an A, B, and C to each of those boxes. So first, on each box, A, can you give the first names of the people who live there? Uh, B, can you give some basic information about the people who live there? Like, he grew up in Long Beach. Uh, he's a lawyer. She loves basketball. Okay, well, you know, some basic information. And then C is, do you have some, some personal information? You kind of know what drives these people, the, some of their deeper stories in their past. W- what can you say? How well do you know your neighbors? So be, it's good for you just to sit with that for a second and think about the people on your left and right across the street. You go, do I, how, do, do I, how would I answer those things? Uh, their studies consistently showed that about 10% of people can answer A for all. So 10% of people know the 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8 neighbors closest to them. Only 10% by name. About 3% can fill out that second level of basic information about these neighbors around them, all of them. And then less than 1% can fill out C. So that's a pretty telling Statistic, And I want to acknowledge, you know, street dynamics, stage of life plays into this. Uh, my wife and I, we got married. We moved to CDM. We lived in a back house above the garage, right? We were newlyweds, had no kids. Um, I would drive home through the alleyway, pull into the garage. You know, I was never in the front yard. We, in six years, hardly got to know any of our neighbors. Three years ago, we moved to that street. Now we have three kids, which are instant conversational starters, right? And we, ex- we are much more in the front yard. So we've gotten to know our neighbors in a year, way more than we did six years in CDM. So I want to acknowledge life stage situations play into this, but it's a good question to ask. And so for you, maybe this morning is just about, I'm going to take some steps to try to get to know my neighbors in the next year. And there's some really simple things you can do. You know, like for us right now, it's just move from the backyard to the front yard. Okay. Just take some activities, whatever you, are you, do you ever, you know, sit in a chair, just take some activity from the front yard or from the backyard and move it to the front yard. That alone will start conversations or take a 10 minute walk twice a week during the time when people are coming and going from work or when you're coming home, just take a quick 10 minute walk up and down the street. And you know, there's some really easy ways to do that. Um, many of us need to get comfortable with this phrase. You ready? And this is a, this applies to church too. Really need to get comfortable with this phrase. Hey, I'm sorry, I'm really bad with names. Can you remind me of yours? Okay? Because I think there's a lot of people who, you know you've gone past the stage where you can ask for someone's name again? Right? And then you avoid them because you can't remember their name, but you can't ask their name because it's been like two years, right? Or you've asked it three times. And this applies really well at church as well, doesn't it? Right? 
after the service, I can't, especially as a pastor, it's the worst. I've heard your name twice. I can't ask again. Give yourself permission to ask this space. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm really bad with names. Can you tell me what you're saying? Okay. I know this is really uh, radical stuff. Um, I have other ideas for you. If you, if you ever want to know how, what are some easy ways to get to know my neighbors? But I think really it, it comes down to intention, right? It comes down to uh, commitment to doing this. You'll figure it out if you, if you actually intend to do it. And then the last thing I want to say is how do we get, move towards loving our neighbors? First, we have to get to know them. <laughs> and then secondly, um, I think we do it. And this has been a really freeing, freeing thought for me. We, we start to love our neighbors. We do it by using the gifts that God has given us. The, the unique gifts and wiring that God has given us, that is the way that we will probably love our neighbors best. I want to point you to a passage in Scripture, First uh, Peter 4. We talked about this one last fall when we were talking about spiritual gifts. Above all, love, there's our word, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to each other without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. Let me take it back to the first part. So the context here is clearly Christian community. I want to acknowledge that. Paul's talking about Christians in Christian community using their gifts. But I would think that Paul would say the way you love each other inside the Christian community is the same way you love each other outside the Christian community. Each one, choose whatever gift he has received, however God has gifted you, well, those become great ways to love people. What he actually says is faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. What he's saying is God's grace has come to you through the ways that he has gifted you. As you use those gifts to love and serve, God's grace, you are being a steward of that grace to others. Other people can receive God's grace through you loving them through your gifts. And so the the big revelation for me that was so freeing was this. You get to love your neighbors according to the way God has gifted you according to the ways that he has wired you. And, and why that's so freeing for me is historically when I've thought about like evangelism or outreach and I pictured myself doing that, there's something in me that says, I need to be a different kind of person than I am to do outreach well. Like there's some gift, there's something I don't possess that I would need to share the love of Jesus with people who don't know him. And that's left me feeling kind of insecure. And what was so clear to me this week and through the series is, no, God is not asking me. God is not asking you to become a different person (laughs) the minute you start talking with people who don't know Jesus. Of course, he's going to use the way that he has wired you and gifted you. That's the reason he wired and gifted you that way. Those are the ways that you're going to bless people, whether they're Christians or they're not Christians. It's not like God is saying, you know, I, 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 I know you're a really good listener, but when it comes to, to people who don't know Christ, you need to become a really good speaker. <laughs> or like, I know you're, a, you're an introvert, but when it comes to these people, you need to become an extrovert. No, God is going to use whatever he's given you to love people and bless whoever they are. And so that's been a freeing thought for me. You get to be yourself. You get to use the gifts that are uniquely yours. And let those be the avenues through which you love and serve people, whoever they are. So 
Let me wrap this up. You know, Paul mentions, uh, I'm sorry, Peter mentions those who speak well and those who serve. So some of you are great social connectors, right? You are so relational. Well, your ministry is probably going to be a, a connecting ministry on you. You're going to create community. You might be the people who throw the block parties on 4th of July, start to create community in your street. Some of you are not. You're introverts, um, but you notice things. And for you, your ministry might be one person on your street. There's just one person that, that, that you're connecting with, and that is your entire ministry on your street. Some of you are great with words, right? You're going to be able to articulate a Christian worldview in conversations with people. Others of you uh, are really good at asking good questions. And you are going to actually listen your way into spiritual conversations just by asking the right interesting questions, just by being genuinely curious about your neighbors. Some of you are great at hospitality. You're going to bring people in your home. Some of you are great at service, right? You're going to be practical, hands-on, helpful people on your street. God is not asking you to be a different person. He's asking you to use whatever gifts he's given you to love and serve. Make sense? Okay, so throughout this series, we want to be sharing stories of how people are trying to do this in our community, starting to give each other an imagination for what this can look like, a picture for what it might look like for us. So I'm going to invite up uh, Dana O'Neill and Jen Tarr to share. I asked them, obviously none of these people are saying, I want to share a story, right? I'm asking them. I appreciate them. Um, Jen and Dana are longtime friends. Uh, who have been trying to be intentional in their lives in various ways. And so they're going to share stories that are each according to the opportunities God has put in front of them, according to their wiring and giftings. And I don't know who's going to start. <laughs> so when Dave asked me to share, I did not offer myself. <laughs> I think, I, I don't know if there's any of you saying out there, but you just don't feel good at this. Like, I feel like for me, and it's funny, I feel like Dave shared a lot of the stuff that I'm going to share. Um, but for me, I think the phrase that I was learning is, okay, as I go, so I'm a mom, I have three little boys. We live on a really busy street. We don't live in the front yard because our landlords put in drought resistant plants. <laughs> it's really inconvenient. Um, and so, but I just, kind of, we decided, and so we work with college students. That's a lot of what we do. And so when we work with college students, we map out their dorms with them. And I was like, huh, I think I could probably do that with my kids. So I couldn't find the piece of paper, but we literally have, so I sat down with my boys and we have a piece of paper where we wrote out the different houses, um, and apartments on our street. And then we realized, okay, what do we need to learn about them? And we need to learn their names. And this is a great way for those of you that have kids. They get pumped. They're like excited to learn people's names. And then it holds you accountable because you actually have to do it. Um, and so we realized who we knew their names for. And so we wrote their names down. And a lot of our neighbors have dogs. I, many of you probably do too and you love dogs. I, I'm not an animal person. I don't like dogs. I know. But... <laughs> My children love dogs, and all people hang out out front with dogs. It's usually people that have maybe different habits than I do that hang out outside their house and animals. And so I realized, okay, guess we're going to navigate that. And so I think that's the second thing is that I realized in this, my children are going to be around people that have different habits that we do. And I had to make a choice of, okay, 
am I okay with that? And what do I think about that? And are we going to have conversations about that? And so we just started getting to know one and one specific, um, woman on the corner and she was out. She literally, I think she lives outside in her front yard. She has a nice tree and grass. And so we started going down there and, um, just befriending her. Um, my boys loved her dog and we just began to get to know her. And so I think the reality is that I had to know her name to then get to know her. And this is, I think, where the personality piece, I love asking. I'm super curious. I love asking the awkward and the next awkward question. And so that's, I think, how it plays out for me. And yet I realized at the same time, I still had to know her name. I had to walk down the street. And so I think the other thing is I didn't assume that people didn't want to know me. And I think some of that is just, I believe that God created us to know and be known. Whether, and I kind of just assume that they think, like, even if they don't know that, they probably want to be known. And so as we began to map out the neighbors, um, I think the other reality is we often, um, maybe you guys are better than me, but pass judgment on our neighbors um, over lifestyle or maybe um, personality. Maybe they don't, they're not like us. And um, so there's another woman on our street who's very different than us. And in my opinion is kind of reserved and not social. And I just passed a lot of judgment. And so this is where I think you can kind of do it together. Jake was great at engaging with her. Um, and she started just loving on us. She bought, um, Annie's cookies from the dollar store for us and brought four boxes to our house. And we began to realize like, Oh, I think she likes us. And so We just continued to talk to her. And we actually learned that she is friends with the homeless people that live on our street. And just this past week came and told Jake that she was so excited because the the homeless man that lives on our street had been in the hospital. And she found out that he was in the hospital and he wasn't dead. And she was going to go tell all of his friends that he wasn't dead. And you guys, as crazy as that sounds, that hit me this week of these are the people that we live by and she is living incredibly radical. And yet I totally assumed so many things about her because she didn't look like me. She didn't talk like me. She maybe didn't seem very friendly. Um, and so then I think the other thing too, for me is I, as I get to know these neighbors, for me, the person on the side, I also decided I wanted to get into their homes. I don't know if you guys are like me, but when somebody comes into your home, I think you feel known. And so I decided that I was going to see how many different homes on my street that I could get into. (laughs) I'm going to, I'm going to cut this off right, right here. (laughs) But I think the reality is that's how it personally is up for me. Many of us are not going to walk into people's homes, but you guys, when you get into people's homes, you learn things about them. And I got to learn more and get to know them. And my, like, my boys are coming in. They're just, like, running into people's homes. And it is, it's a little bit ridiculous. But I think the reality is that all of those things of being intentioned started with praying for my neighbors, drawing a little chart with my boys, and making a choice of saying, okay, Lord, I want to be used by you as I go in how I do life and trusting that the Holy Spirit would move and that he's ultimately the ones that that moves and speaks through me, um, but that it takes attention.
So Jen's better on her feet. So I wrote mine down. Um, Extrovert, introvert. Um, But uh, we've actually, Jen and I have talked about this a lot over the last couple of years, just like how to do this well. And so a lot of it seemed like has, there's a lot of overlap just because we've had a lot of, lot of conversations about loving neighbors. Um, and it's funny that you mentioned at the beginning of your sermon, because I've always struggled with this ser- sermon series of like how to love my neighbors. I would overthink it and thought it may- meant like I needed to invite people over. I need to feed the homeless. I need to volunteer for various overseas mission organizations. And so because that all seems super overwhelming, I would just do nothing because I didn't want to do another thing. Um, but after my husband and I moved and we left Santa Barbara and moved down here and I realized I didn't even know the names of the three girls that live next to us and our other side of our duplex. And we lived there for three years. Um, I knew I was approaching my neighbor in the wrong way. So I didn't really know what to do because I didn't want to do anything extra. So I just started resolved to pray. I prayed that God would open my eyes and that I would respond to the people that lived around us. And I continued to pray regularly. I didn't invite anyone over and I didn't volunteer, but I did start to say hi to my neighbors when I saw them. I learned their names and slowly some of their stories. And as I did, I continued to pray that I would respond to the people around me. One of our neighbors was a woman named Carlene. She was 78 years old. She's retired. She's legally blind, so she didn't have a car. So she was always, always home. Since we had a green belt outside of our house, we frequently saw her when um, our girls and I were out playing. Because and only because I had been praying, I was open and willing to get to know her. Not adding anything to my plate, but simply responding to her presence. What evolved with Carlene was an increasing friendship, and as our friendship grew, so did our interaction with her. Since she lived alone and didn't like to cook, we, my girls and I would start to bring her cookies when we made some for ourselves. If I had made too much dinner, I would just pack up a plate and bring her food. And when I was going to the grocery store, I would ask if she needed anything because I knew she didn't have a car. But honestly, sometimes I avoided her. <laughs> If I heard her door open, I would purposely not go outside until I knew she had gone back in. There were days where I was just too tired and I didn't want to engage, but I continued to pray for eyes to see and for courage to respond. One day, uh, one of our other neighbors called me and told me Carlene was in the hospital because she had gotten sick. No one was available to go get her because we all knew she didn't have a car, so they would ask if I would go check on her. Uh, To be honest, I didn't want to. I had to find a babysitter, and I had a lot on my plate that day. But since I was praying every day for eyes to see how God was moving, I said yes begrudgingly and wondered how quick I could get back home. If I had known what God was asking me to say yes to that morning, I probably would not have gone. I responded to that moment. Ooh, sorry. Didn't know that was coming. Um... I responded to that moment only because I was praying and the prayer was making me aware. What snowballed from there was many follow-up doctor's appointments, medication refills, an Alzheimer's diagnosis, a need for a power of attorney, hiring in-home care, several calls a day, decreased ability to do normal day-to-day tasks, another bout of pneumonia, 
and then finally placement in a long-term care facility. There are many times I tried to walk away because it was so hard, but it has also been beautiful. Because of all we have walked through, I have prayed with her, cried with her, and shared the gospel with her as we sat in the hospital together. The best part about it was I didn't do it on my own. People in this church have been neighbors to Carlene. They fed Carlene. They brought us meals when I was having a hard time. Two families brought groceries over to my house while I was with Carlene and then cleaned my whole house for me with their kids. People have prayed for her, helped me to get legal help, watched my kids for me when I needed to be somewhere, and most recently helped me clean out her house so we can rent it. Our church has been her neighbor. Sorry, I didn't know I'd be so emotional about this. Um, And it hasn't impacted just her. Carlene's other neighbors, the nurses in the hospital, the people working at her long-term facility care, and doctors have all asked me why people have done so much to help someone who isn't family. And the only response I can give them is that God asked me to. People have seen the love of Christ through your all's care of Carlene. Honestly, I didn't set out to do anything. I prayed. I didn't want to do anything. (laughs) That was the thing. I really didn't. Uh, I prayed, and the prayer changed me. The prayer has made me aware of what God was already doing around me and gave me courage to say yes to the little things he put before me every day. If I had known the whole picture or had set out with a plan to do what I did, I would have said no. It's been hard, but because I was praying, I had the eyes to say yes to what was in each day and nothing more. And as a result, I really do believe we'll be dancing in heaven one day with Carlene, and I look forward to that tremendously. Thank you both. That was amazing. So appreciative. And I know there are so many other stories like that in this room that we could share, which is so encouraging. I I, want to just, one thing that Dana said at the beginning of, she pictured outreach being this big thing. And because that was so overwhelming, it's like, that's overwhelming, so I'll do nothing. (laughs) And I, I relate, I think a lot of us relate to that. And so I think the encouragement for you as you hear those stories today would be, what is the one thing? What is the one small step that God is inviting you into. It may be a particular neighbor. It might be just to pray, to begin to pray. It might be to do that, that map of your street, to start to get to know names. What is one small thing? Don't try to direct this. Just be open and let God take it one step at a time. So that's the challenge this week, to identify that one thing. Let's pray, and then we'll sing together. Well, Lord, we know that this particular conversation hits all of us very differently. Some of us have a lot of emotional space for this. Others of us don't. And it's not even a right or wrong. It's just, you know, we have different situations, different life stages. And so we find ourselves in different places. Wherever we find ourselves, would you give us eyes to see what it would look like for us in our particular situation with our particular gifts and our particular limitations to love our neighbors as ourselves, to be a loving presence 
on our streets, in our neighborhoods, in our apartment complex. Open our eyes. Open our hands, open our feet, that we might move uh, towards you and towards those around us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.